turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I have till 425 to get this done. I know this. I've marked it duly. Oh, he likes the eagles there. I see. One for him. Okay. All right. Hey, you know what's weird is to see Gabe not in the sound booth. So thanks to those who've pitched in and given Gabe a break. And that's actually part of the sermon. So let's get going. Luke chapter 5, let's read the words of the Lord. It's this, verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he, or, and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, hey, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon, of course, it had to be Simon, answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so uh, that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knee, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Excuse me. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So pray with me one more time, would you? We need the Lord's help. Well, Lord, thank you so much uh, for your eternal word. It's pure. It does its intended work. It divides soul from spirit. It, It does what it's intended to do, and it never turns back void. And so we're trusting in that today, Lord, as you do a mighty work in our hearts. You take the child of God through the word of God by the spirit of God and transform us. Praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have somebody vacuuming. That's a weird thing. No? Okay. Okay. Well, here it is. We are now in the universal gospel. Don't you love the doctor, the good doctor, Dr. Luke? He writes this gospel so that everybody will have a place in the kingdom of God. The pauper and the prince, the leper, and the perfectly quaffed individual who's perfectly dressed, everybody in between. The person on that side of the tracks or that side of the tracks, a person with lots of money or not a lot of money or from this heritage or not from this heritage or whatever. The, The Lord is using the book of Luke to open up the gospel to all people. And he's moving... You remember this. We're moving through this. He's preached in his own synagogue, chapter 4. He's preached in his own synagogue, and when Jesus said, it's not just open this good news of the gospel to the Jews, but open to all, even the enemies of God, it was fine when they were watching little Jesus Grown, all grown up and pray, but as soon as they mentioned that part, that it's not according to our heritage anymore, or <laughs> it's not according to our heritage, as soon as they mentioned that, the religious people, the people, uh, it's, it's almost too hard to believe, the people he grew up with, they changed his diapers, they watched him and his dad work in the shop, they knew his mother and his brothers and sisters, that one, they, they took him out, pushing him bullying him out to a hill to murder him. 
His theology didn't match up with their theology. And it brought hatred and strife in these people's hearts. And he was rejected in his own country. So what did he do? He set up shop headquarters in another town. He was in Nazareth, but he moves in the north part of Israel from Nazareth to the Sea of Galilee, right at the top of the northern part, Capernaum, a fishing town. That's where he is, where two major roads come through, and there's lots of commerce and activity. And we saw last week, as he went into a synagogue, he preached in, in, in one of them, and a man who was or who had an unclean spirit or spirits started screaming and yelling at him in the middle of the synagogue. Wouldn't that unnerve you a little bit? We talked about this. Jesus didn't have the greatest church experiences, (laughs) and yet he still kept going to church. Boy, is there a lesson there. But he rebukes the spirit and asks, that he comes out of the man, and that in fact happens. And we learn that Jesus is ruler over the spiritual realm. And then as soon as church is over, he cruises to the place where he's staying with his buddies. And Simon Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a really terrible fever. Oh yes, Simon Peter had a mother-in-law, which means he was married. And he rebuked the fever and it left her. And we saw what happens when we bring Jesus home from church. (laughs) It brings the hotness, the fever, the intensity down. And she is immediately healed. And the first thing that just is natural now to her in her new life is to serve him and be thankful. (laughs) To serve. And then they started bringing, after the Sabbath, all these sick, and he lays hands on them and heals them, and demons come out, and he didn't allow them to speak. Because all these demons, we've been the enemy of, of, of our souls, these demons that we've been reading about, they all knew who Jesus was or is. And he preaches in Galilee, but the one thing that remains constant to Jesus, Jesus lived here on this earth, fully dependent upon God, filled with the Spirit, he has the same things available, or we have the same things available to us that were available to him. The Word of God, prayer, service. He goes out after a great day of ministering. He doesn't get land on the couch with a Dagwood sandwich and the clicker in hand. He knows where real resource in life is. He goes and meets with his Father. When it's morning time, he gets up early so he can have resource and direction for the day. And now we come to this place where Jesus does this thing with Peter and his buddies. And it's a great lesson for the church today. The multitude are pressing about him to hear the word of God. Oh my goodness. They would even go out at a hot lake, hear the word of God. Here we're in comfort in chairs, sit on the ground. They get sand in their shoes and, you know, sitting on rocks, reclining, you know, not always in the most comfortable. uh, Here, here, they'll, they'll go anywhere to hear the word of God. If the church service is too early or the person who you don't like is preaching, or we have a a golf game lined up, eh, we'll catch it later. These people were rabid and hungry for the Word of God. Jesus was giving it. He taught with authority. He didn't say, the Lord saith, like the prophets. He didn't say, well, that rabbi teaches, like the educated Jewish scholars of the day. He didn't teach like that. He just said, I say. (laughs) He taught with all authority, and he brought it out. These people were riveted because they knew it was true. (laughs) These were words straight from the throne of heaven. They are pressing in on him to hear the word of God as he stands by this lake, which is just the Sea of Galilee, folks. It's in the north of Israel. The Jordan runs from north of it into the Sea of Galilee, then it runs down to the Dead Sea. 
The Sea of Galilee is down in a bowl. There's big hills all around it. And he stood there and he saw two boats standing by the lake. Jesus, so resourceful, will preach and teach anywhere. Boy, is there a lesson there. He'll, he'll preach and teach anywhere. He doesn't need a pulpit or a perfect whatever. He sees two, two boats standing by the lake. He says, uh-oh, I know what to do. And the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets, which is really interesting. It's really interesting that they're washing their nets because we find out that they caught Zippo. Nothing. But they were washing their nets. And what would they do? They would run They would take them out of the, the sea and they would, you know, have water poured all over them. And then what else would they do with the net so it wouldn't get brittle? They'd stretch it. They'd stretch it. And, and they were industrious people. I mean, they didn't just put their nets in the truck and go home without cleaning it. I mean, why would they need to clean it? Well, of course, debris and residue from the bottom there or whatever were getting there, and they didn't want their nets to break and be brittle for the next time that they go out. So they washed it with water and stretched. Boy, is there a lesson there. See, he tells them that they're going to be fishers of men. We see that. Sometimes, just like them, we don't understand why nothing's happening. You see that? And the Lord just says, hey, listen, keep getting washed by the water of the word. Allow me to stretch you a bit. You're going to be uncomfortable in some of these things, but right around the corner is a big catch. The problem with Americans is we give up. Or after we strike out, or however we want to say it, we, Lord, oh man, I prayed three minutes ago and you didn't answer any of these prayers. You must hate me. I mean, where, you're leaving me and forsaking me. What's going on here? Here, he's saying, no, no, no. Keep getting washed in the water of the word. Keep getting washed. Keep being stretched. It's okay to feel uncomfortable. I like to walk and do some of those things, but you know what I hate? Man, I hate it. Like, hate it. Stretching. You know why I mostly hate Stretching because I can't stretch and it hurts. It hurts. It, it hurts to touch my knees, not my toes. But see, sometimes stretching hurts, folks. It's uncomfortable, but it's good for us. And the Lord, Oswald Chambers says, sometimes has to trust you in the silence or with the silence but there's something around the corner, and don't give up. He knows what's better for you than you even know. Here, he sees them, and he's, they're washing their nets. They're doing that, and that's an industrious thing. Keep at it. Keep at it, he says. Well, he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Here in a few seconds, a couple of verses, he said to Simon, well, go out even deeper, which tells me that Simon was in the boat with him. <laughs> which tells me another thing. I'm convinced, I think, and I am convinced, <laughs> that the Lord wants you to plug in and serve. And he brings you along. <laughs> and the funny part, including me, of course, starting with me, <laughs> is he doesn't really need you. But he wants you to hear his word. That's why it's so beautiful, even today. That's the first time Gabe sat in the regular seats in a year or longer. I don't know the time, but that's because somebody else has said, no, 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 I'll do it. I'll come aside, and I'll learn this, and I'll help you out, and we'll take turns. And he's 
plugging in where he needs to plug in, or she's plugging in where she needs to plug in. But see, the Lord wants you to plug in somewhere. And, and you say, well, you know, I, I can, I understand. I'm not talking COVID here now. That's a different issue. You have to deal with that with you and the Lord, whether you come or not. But under no, normal circumstances, get it, listen. The Lord wants you to plug in and serve. So, you know, when you wake up and you say, yeah, I'm a golf game, you know, I could go hiking. Well, see, he's got something for all of us here, not just for me. It's all of us plugging in as we are hearing the word and then sharpening one another. In other words, it's important that you show up too. I'm not guilting you into church attendance. That's not what I'm doing. But the Lord says, don't forsake assembling. He says, get plugged in. Don't be a consumer. I want you to bring you along. In fact, if the truth really be told, the Lord would say, I don't really need you. But I want you to keep coming. Because all of us are important. And you might have a word for somebody in your service during your time. And you're going to share with somebody, and somebody's going to be encouraged. You're going to smile at somebody, and, and, and you need to be coming along with Jesus in the place that he is and serve yourself. Here, he's like, oh, Peter, what, come on, let's go out in your boat. I know he was a carpenter builder, but come on. He could have gotten anyone. And so, here he puts him out. He asks him, he goes, hey, let's just go out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. See, we're in the midst of Jesus's teaching ministry. I told you this, right? You think of Jesus. Jesus was a teacher preacher. He taught the scriptures. It's full, this whole part of the gospel. He's a teacher. And we studied those words last week. That teaching is both formal and informal in a formal setting, similar to like this, but then we're going to see it. He called some people to be around him, so in an informally, formal way, he did life with people. <laughs> you can't do life from people from your living room, folks. <laughs> Just saying. Send me an email. Let's talk about it. But he does, and he, he gets in this boat, and he puts out from land, and he teaches the multitudes from the boat. Of course, you've all heard the story that there on the Sea of Galilee, that water was a natural amplifier and was picking up the sound, and he was sounding it out. But also, notice this. He's giving you a good picture. Really, who the fisherman in the story is, is Jesus. And he's cast his net, so to speak, not into the water, whew, right up onto the land. By the word of God, he's catching men and women. He's out there in the boat, and when he had stopped speaking, oh, Simon was, you know, Simon. Simon is Peter, you know, from another gospel. He tells to Simon, I want you to launch out into the deep. Now, remember, it's daytime. And I want you to let down your nets for a catch. They didn't fish like we fish. They had these nets. And they, had, they would throw them out, and they would have a drawstring on them, and they would drag them back. And He goes, go out into the deep, and then here's where it all comes to a head, doesn't it? Like a big, painful boil. <laughs> and I guarantee you, you and I have said this a lot. You say, wait a second, you know, based on my experience here, Lord, because I'm a fisherman, and he uses this word, he says master, which is an unusual word not used in the other gospels, Luke records it because what he's kind of saying here is, I know you're a master teacher, you're a commander of the scriptures, but you ain't no fisherman. You're a carpenter, you're a builder. In other words, I know what I'm talking about. I've been doing this all my life, Jesus. So he says, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. You see, 
many people say that the best time to fish on the Sea of Galilee is at night in the shallows, which explains why his nets were dirty. Jesus said, we're going to turn that around. We're going to fish in the daytime in the deep. You say, or Simon Peter would say, hmm, okay, teacher. We'll do what you say, but it ain't going to work. That's what he's saying here. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, you said it. I'll go and let down the net. But I have real reservations here. I don't understand it. It goes against everything I've been trained to do. Uh, I know that it's not going to work. In other words, Jesus, maybe I'll go through the motions here, but I'm not expecting anything. In, in other words, again, I know better than you. Now, if you're being honest with yourself, if I'm being honest with myself, we say these things a lot. Oh, you've asked me to go back and apologize to the waitress? Come on, Lord. She doesn't even care. I know I treated her bad, but, you know, I'm out the door. I know you're nudging me to do that or go talk to that person or to do that, but what difference would it make? I know better. I'm a human here who's living in these modern times. Nobody cares about that. Or, Lord, you know, I know that I'm not supposed to take pens from work, but come on, it jumped into my backpack. I don't know how it got there. And I know you keep saying, let's go take it back, but no, nobody's going to know. I, I know better than you. Or I want to go to this job because there's more money, Lord. And I promise, I mean... I know you think I won't, but when I get this more money, I'll put more in the box. I want to do this. And the Lord just keeps nudging you to that other job. You don't know why. And I could go on all day till 425 or 1. Because there's a million scenarios where we've always already said this. We've said, Lord, we know better than you. We've toiled all night. We've worked everything. Yeah, you're my Lord, you're my master. Yeah, sure you are. We didn't catch anything, and you, you're telling us to do it, so we'll do it, but it ain't going to work. And when they had done this, look at this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. In the Greek, it means it's starting to break, but it hasn't broken yet. It's a great number of fish. So they signaled to their partners in their other boat to come and help them, which is a little phrase in there, but it has big implications. I wish the church would learn this verse. Here's what we do in the American church. It's my youth group. Our youth group is, you know, what people say, is big and raging and no, we're not going to get together with your youth group because we're doing all the work. And it's great because, man, you've set us up and we're some great servants and look at all the cool stuff we have. We're, we're not going to participate with you. We've done it. Or we're going to grow our church this way. And we're going to get numbers, man. We're going to report them back to the you know, the local governing authorities, oh, man, we had three conversions today, and yesterday we had 30 conversions, and now we're up to 400 people in the church. It's so awesome when we're so excited about no growing numbers this way when actually we should be growing this way, horizontally. I'm convinced that in the church it's so effective to be together in fellowship, 
We know one another. We know each other's hurts, needs. Yes, of course, we have new people come, and we, yes, we love them, and they, can, they come in, and they're part of us. But see, we start uh, having people that start home fellowships in different places. And then what we do is that home fellowship, we start helping and uh, propping that up, praying for them and giving them resources and helping them so that when the time comes, whenever that time is, when the Lord brings that time, see, what we do is we, we take them and we send them off to their beachhead. We don't keep the numbers going this way for the sake of numbers going this way so we can report to somebody that we're so big. I tell you this all the time. Every time I go to a pastor's conference, hi, my, I, I sit down at lunch. Hi, my name's Tim. Oh, hi, my name's Bill. And I know it's coming. It's coming. I can feel it. I can feel it coming. I can feel it coming. It's coming. It's the first thing out of everybody's mouth. I dread it, but I know it's coming. So, how many people are in your church? People are so concerned about numbers when really shouldn't we be uh, concerned about broadening where we go, sharing our resources with others, bringing people in so they can feed with us, but so that they can go out and have their own business, so to speak, but in this sense, their own beachhead and place to go. I'm convinced it's the way to do it. Here, they're not jealous at all. Come on in, man. You come in and get some of our haul. We need help. We're not jealous. We're happy that you're participating with us. We're happy that your church is growing. We're happy that you're give, giving the gospel. We're happy that you're healthy. We pray for you. We love you. Come on in and help us. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. This is a big catch, man. So when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. I laugh about this one. You know why I laugh about this one? Turn back one page. <laughs> man, the Bible's funny in, some, in a good way, if you'll look for it. This guy's mother-in-law was healed last week. And it never says he worshiped the Lord. <laughs> You can do whatever you want with that. I love my mother-in-law, but I'm just saying. But in this one, in this, in this miracle, something was so majestic and holy and pure and perfect, he fell down at the feet of Jesus and worshiped him. Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, what, what did he do when he encountered the Lord. It's what we did in the Psalms today. He didn't say, oh, Lord, it's you, the Messiah. You're going to make my life better. Everything's going to be perfectly circumstantially. You're probably going to bless me with lots of money. This is going to be amazing. I'm going to have such a perfect life now. That's what Christians do. That's what we teach. No, no, no. He said, oh, my. In your presence, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. There's something about you. You're, you're holy, Lord. You're perfect in all your ways. And it's reminded me and told me that I am a sinner. You see, it's always our chief need that our sins be forgiven. People are out there. They're walking to and fro, doing whatever, they're restless, they're anxious, they're all these things, and they don't even know the gospel, that they're sinners. And we keep cycling them through the church with feel-good sermonettes that tell them that life's going to be perfect all the time when it's not even the message of the gospel. Here he just, he comes and he says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, oh Lord. I'm a sinful man, even though... He'd seen some uh, uh, miracles before. There was something about this, the teaching and the pulling him into the boat and asking him to put out and the knowing and the knowledge and the great number of fish. But for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish, which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Debedee. Zeb Why do I keep saying that? Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Isn't that interesting? They had a fishing business together, and they were partners, which means they probably were doing pretty well for themselves. 
And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they went to the fish market, weighed all the fish, and checked in all the money. I I want you to see that. I'm not saying they didn't redeem their fish or do whatever. But Luke is is, uh, interested in telling you that they forgot about the fish. They just wanted the one who provided the fish. Do you catch that? Uh, Maybe they, they went to the fish market and did their business. Maybe they did. But see, here, what Luke wants you to know is fish no longer was priority number one. Now, this is interesting because, you see, if you look in the other Gospels, it looks to me like, although there's some dispute among the scholars, that they had known these men, Jesus had known these men before. You could look in Mark 1, 21 through 39. Jesus had walked with these. It appears like maybe. Some scholars believe yes, some scholars believe no. But maybe that Jesus had known them for a time when they were involved with John the Baptist's ministry and they'd got to know each other. And if you read those Gospels, you'll kind of where I just indicated, you'll kind of scratch your head and say, well, wait a minute, he isn't exactly telling them to follow him yet. Well, that explains stuff to you. It'll help your understanding. It seems to be that he knew these men, and then all of them, including Jesus, went back to be with their families and their occupations for a time. You can research that. Be a Berean. And now he's calling them into a different or more intense ministry, and when they encounter who Jesus is really, they recognize themselves as sinful man, and only he has the cure. And they go, oh my, we're ready. We'll even forsake the business and move on with him. Isn't that fascinating? What a What does this teach us? I mean, it teaches so many things. One of the things it teaches us is we're to have large expectations in Christ. But we have not because we ask not. Now, I'm not talking about Lexus, Range Rovers, Audis, mansions. We're going to get a mansion, but not the kind that I'm talking about. You know, $2,000 suits, uh, airplanes that fly or that are $60 million bucks and should be paid for by the church. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. But we should have large expectations in Christ. Listen to this in Ephesians 3. Paul said that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's unsearchable. He's so rich, it's unsearchable. He's got everything we need for life and godliness. And he even ends this chapter, chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 20, by saying this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus or Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And what the Lord, I think, is saying to us is, when I'm in the boat with you, or you're in the boat with me, you will be fishers of men. Not, not, not you might be. You, you will be fishers of men. You're, you're going to be a fisher of men. It's a command. You say, well, wait a minute. I haven't really shared the gospel with anybody lately. Here's what I would say. Keep being washed by the water of the word, letting him stretch you because it's right around the corner. Until he comes back, of course, right? Pray for these opportunities. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh with boldness and then ask the Lord to prepare the hearts of people 
so that those whom you come in contact with have been prepared by the Lord with good soil and you could plant into that soil. I actually was praying this prayer the last couple weeks. You know, Lord, you know, what's going on? COVID, it's hard to get out and or for other, you know, people to come and what's going on, Lord? I just And then sadly, but joyfully, I was asked to do a funeral yesterday. They're so bittersweet, of course. You're on one hand, you're so sad for the family because they're sad. But on the other hand, it's really amazing the opportunity you have to share the gospel at a funeral. It's really the one time in life where you know, you know, you know that they're ready to listen. In fact, Ecclesiastes tells us that it's better to be at a funeral than a party. It seems strange, but people's lives are at stake. And you, the same, just keep being stretched. The Lord has great things in store that he's going to do in and through you. Bigger than you could even ask or think. You might even been trying for weeks or all night or whatever, and he's asked you to go somewhere where you think, my goodness, Lord, you don't know what you're doing. But he does know what he's doing. He knows way better than we do. And so he goes and he goes into a certain city in verse 12, and he sees a man who was full of leprosy. Now remember, Luke's a medical doctor. So he uses a phrase here. In, 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 in the Bible, leprosy means a lot of different things. It means skin disease. It could mean, you know, like psoriasis type stuff. But it also can mean that stuff that you know of leprosy called Hansen's disease, which is that insidious thing that starts just as a little hair kind of gets white and infected. And then it starts to come from underneath and grow and spread and you know, in Leviticus 13 and 14, in the Old Testament, they had all these rules for when the person got like that, to go to the priests and be examined, and to make sure they were outside of the camp. And there were a number of things that would logically happen here. It's a picture of sin in somebody's life. Leprosy is, starts underneath, starts to grow becomes big and can spread to other people. Get it? Well, here he uses the word medically full of leprosy. This is full-blown leprosy like you, you think of it, the Hansen's disease. This is full-blown. This is the person who's outside the camp. This is the person who they would see you would have to go on the other side of the street and yell, unclean, unclean, so that the person would know that they were unclean. They wouldn't want to get around them, right? This was the person who felt so bad and felt so low and just their life was over. They were a social outcast. They weren't to be touched. They weren't to be seen. They smelled. They, they were gross physically. This is that person. And this represents, of course it does, as a picture to us, it represents our sin nature. We're sinners because we have a sin nature. We don't have a sin nature because we sin. Think about that. We're sinners because we have a sin nature. And here, it's that underneath thing. It's come to fruition, and it's wreaking havoc. It's even making us unsettled. We read about it in the Psalms today. And here's this man who's not supposed to come in contact with people. He sees Jesus, and he falls on his face, and he implores him. He's like, okay... I know you're the only one that can do this. You're the only one. You're my only answer. I will come up to you, but I won't touch you because I know the customs. Socially, I'm an outcast. Physically, I'm an outcast. And also religiously, if that's a way of saying it, I'm an outcast because I'm ceremonially unclean. I can't come back into the worship until I'm healed physically, and then I have to go through a number of different rituals, according to Leviticus 13 and 14, so that I can get back involved in the religious life. You understand? He's an outcast in every sense of the word. He sees Jesus, his only hope. He falls on his face and implores him, saying, Lord, isn't it unbelievable <clears throat> that he says this? Many of you, many of us think this way. 
He didn't say, heal me. Lord, heal me, please. He didn't say that. He said, Lord, if you're willing. You know, a lot of people sitting here today and in Christendom know that the Lord can heal, but they don't know if he's willing. They don't know if he's willing. I mean, they might be approaching him based on their works. Lord, I've been a good little boy. I think you'd heal me this week. But, you know, last week I wasn't so good. I don't think you'd heal me last week. They might be approaching him that way or whatever. But here he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, look at this. <laughs> he goes, <laughs> Above and beyond here. Nobody would do this with full-blown leprosy. Nobody. Nobody would do this. He reaches out and he touches the man because that man mattered. He touched him. He touched him. The human contact, the touch, the hug, the smile, the kindness when you could be unkind, the kindness, that human interaction. He, immediate, he didn't have to have any human interaction with this guy to heal him, but Jesus wanted him to know something. And he touched him and he grabbed him and caressed him and he said, I'm willing. But look at this. Jesus doesn't say be healed. He says be cleansed. Or be cleansed. Remember, there's lots of things going on here. There's the physical... There's the social part of being an outcast because you're a leper and I'm not. That's the self-righteous folks of the church. And then there's the religious, the ceremonial. He needed to be clean to come back in to fellowship with his brothers and sisters. Oh, fellowship. I'm accepted again. I'm accepted by you, Lord, and now I'm accepted back in the fellowship. I'm clean. You've pronounced me clean. Not only have you pronounced me clean, I am clean because immediately the leprosy left him. Can you imagine this one? And he charged him to tell no one. Because, see, Jesus was about the word of God, and the miracles confirmed the word. We have a whole Christian American church who are running around looking for the miracles and aren't interested in the word. But faith comes by hearing and hearing the miracles that God does. Uh -uh, it doesn't say that. It says by hearing the word of God. So miracles are great. We're all for them. But Jesus wanted to make sure that they tempered their enthusiasm and that their enthusiasm was focused on the right thing. By his word, he was cleansed and healed. And he says this. He says, now listen, go and show to yourself to the priest because that's what they had to do under Leviticus 13 and 14. When they were healed, there was a procedure that got them back in to ceremonially being clean. And so he wanted them to participate in this. Of course, and we can debate about why he uh, had them, uh, 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 you know, uh, fulfill the law here, whatever, but I don't want you to miss the really touching point. <laughs> I think he wanted the priest to get saved, too. Now, you think about that. The religious people, the ones who can get jaded, the self-righteous ones, I'm a priest and you're not, the ones who probably, God bless you, had not seen much of this healing at all. Of course, he wants them to go and to be fulfilled, but I also think he was evangelizing the priests. So, it tells me something. Folks, it tells me that there's room in the church by the blood of Jesus for people with all kinds of different views. Ha, ha, ha. There's the self-righteous conservative type and the left-leaning liberal over here. 
And God says, come to me. Don't worry about labels. Come to me. And sometimes the ones who are the most religious are the ones who need evangelized the most. Well, he goes, show yourself to the priest. Make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses' commandment. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. It happened on a certain day. I'm not going to go through this story, but I want you to see something. And then we're going, to, we're going to shut it down. But it happened on a certain day as he was teaching. I circled that again. He just keeps teaching the word. He's teaching the word. He's teaching the word. You say, why are you so rabid around here about teaching the word? Well, Jesus was ra- he, he wanted you to know the word, people to know the word. It's where health comes from spiritually. Yes, we want the miracles. But man, the word. He was teaching, and that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by. Now, to be fair to them, you know the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law, they were asked to make sure no false prophets invaded Israel. So in one hand, they're there checking out what's going on. They'd been checking out John the Baptist. But on another hand, you get this sense that they want to really sniff Jesus out. Because he's upsetting their apple cart. But I, I want you to see something. He would come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And here's, here's what I wanted you to get to. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. The power of the Lord is directly connected to Jesus in his prayer life. Why is the church so anemic? Come to a prayer service sometime and see how many people are there. Just let that sit there for a minute. Again, I'm not guilting you into anything. Put your prayers in the prayer box. We'll pray for them. I'm not bitter about anything. I'm, not, I'm just saying that when you call a prayer meeting, not many people will come. You do a Bible study, we're there. But Jesus knew the key to the power for healing and strength and resource and life and and real change in people and and a transformation and salvation. And what it is, is and we're harping on it over the last several months, is that Jesus went to the Father. We're called to abide in Christ. We're called to be right there under the shadow of the wing by the blood of the Lamb, there just abiding first thing in the morning, during the day, praying without ceasing, and then ending it up at night in prayer. But we don't do that. What we do is we check Facebook. We pray as we drive, as we're listening to, you know, talk radio, Sean Hannity or whoever we listen to. Yeah, Lord, bless my day. Okay. And then we go to work and then when we get home, we have ball practice and this project. And then, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, we're eating? Oh, okay. Bless the food, Lord. Thanks. And then we do all our stuff through the night. We watch Netflix and all the the political news. And yeah, we're exhausted and tired. And we just find the bed. And oh, Lord, thank you. God bless. And, And Jesus knew differently. First and best was giving his time unto the Father in his presence so that there was real power. What do we learn from all this? What we learn is to expect more than we do and to know and to understand that Jesus knows better than us. We say that we do, but do we? When he asks us to do something like go out in the daytime and go to the deep and to put down your nets and you want to argue with the Lord, just like Nike, just do it. What's our greatest need is to be healed from sin and leprosy and to be bought with a price back into the the family of God, designed for what we were designed to do, and that is to walk with the Lord, to walk with Him and to talk with Him and to spend time in communion with Him so that real power go out. Folks, 
We need real spiritual resource for this day. I mean real resource. We don't need external, fake, phony, conjured up, self-driven, self-righteous resource. We need Holy Spirit power that almost doesn't make any sense. Lord, I know we should go right. The Lord says, go left. But, the f- but Lord, they're over here. Go to that city. But Lord, I didn't really yell at the waitress. Go apologize. What? It doesn't make any sense. But when we do it, when the obedience happens, it's where the power is released in prayer, being very close and sensitive to what the Lord has for us, obeying for real power. Folks, people are dying every single day without Jesus. This little band of people in this little sliver of Pittsburgh called to go and make disciples. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you so much for your word and for all that you have for us here. Lord, there's so many lessons. We could look at it time and again and come up with more things. But Lord, we don't want to do anything by our might, but by your might, the Spirit of the Lord. So we're asking as we move out of here today that you would fill us afresh and that you would put people in our place this week as you're stretching us and teaching us the word, as you would put people in our place with good soil in their hearts. And we pray that many would come and share the gospel with them, these people right here, and that this week there would be a big harvest of souls. Lord, let's help us to quit messing around with the junk that doesn't even matter. And be concerned as you're concerned for people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. And uh, have a great week. I went a little over, so no song. But we'll have some music. If you need prayer, please come up. Otherwise, have a great week. God bless you guys.